Well, it's great to be back with you. I don't know about you, but this last month has been a blur for me. We have just been uh, running a lot of different directions. I have been out as much as I have been here, and I am glad to be back with you today. Uh, we, have had a, we had a family member in our extended family that had some health concerns arise and uh, needed to be out of town for one weekend. In fact, Karen had to make a couple of trips out of town. I had a seminary class in Kansas City in July that wasn't supposed to take a Sunday, but for me it ended up uh, taking a Sunday as well. And then uh, we were able to have a short vacation last weekend just before school is underway. And so uh, glad to be back with you. We are back in our summer series, Tough Questions, only a few weeks left. We've been looking at a, at a tough question each Sunday. We've covered nine so far. I've taken seven of them, and I also appreciate Brad and Tim for each taking a question. Tim did so last week with a, a powerful message answering the question, are we sure the Christian faith is the only way to God? And uh, these are important questions, folks. They are vital, uh, not only for us as a church family, but also for our young people as they are as they're growing up, that, that, that if they have questions that pertain to the Bible or to life or questions about God, that we don't take those questions and suppress them because we know what happens. If questions go unanswered, those lingering questions can turn into what? Doubts. And those doubts can then grow and they can become unbelief. And so what we've been talking about all summer has been incredibly important for us as a church, for our young people, as we look at the world around us. Uh, and it just seems that, that more and more questions are being raised that the church needs to address. We've got to have our ears open uh, to what's happening in the culture around us. And then with a biblical worldview, be able to speak and to speak with confidence with, God, with what God's Word has to say. And we've looked at some, some tough ones. We, we looked uh, several weeks ago at, at even whether we can trust the Bible. Is the Bible trustworthy? If so, how can we be sure? We looked at, at a, a very difficult question related to hell, literal place, a loving God allowing and, and creating a place for, for some people to spend eternity. That's a tough one at times for us to, to, to fully understand. A couple weeks ago, the question was, is cultural Marxism compatible with the Christian faith? Um, yeah, that was a real sermon title. I'm, I'm still scratching my head, uh, my head myself on that one. I mean, when I was in seminary, that was not one that I would have ever thought I would have to address, right? But then we look at what's happening at the world around us, and we, we need to be able to, to give an answer. Today, the question is this, as Stephanie has indicated earlier, is science the enemy of faith? Is science the enemy of faith? In 2011, a researcher by the name of David Kinnaman who works with the Barna Group. He conducted a major study of young people who had been raised in the church, but by their late teenage years or into their college years, had left the church. And he surveyed this group asking, what were some of the reasons why they didn't stay? And one of the top reasons was that they perceived their church to be either out of touch with science or antagonistic towards science. Another research group known as the Pew Research Center said that in a recent survey, 59% of Americans, nearly 60%, believe there is a conflict between science and religion. This means that many people today struggle to see the compatibility of faith with science. 
And yet, for us today, as followers of Christ, do we see this as a necessary conflict? In this message, I'm going to propose that the answer to the question is no. No, meaning that there does not have to be a conflict between science and faith. They are not mutually exclusive pursuits. The first point in the message today is this. Science is one way that God has revealed himself. Science is one way God reveals himself. You look at that and you say, that that, that may seem like a strange statement. But if we think for a moment about how God has displayed both his power and his glory, our eyes are drawn to what he has created. In fact, it was about 400 years ago that a scientist by the name of Francis Bacon, who is now recognized as one of the architects of the scientific method and whose writings were instrumental in forming the Royal Society of London, he made the claim that God has given us two books to study, the book of God's words and the book of God's works. And as I read that, I thought, you know, that sounds very similar to Psalm 19. Psalm 19 speaks of God's works, and Psalm 19 speaks of God's words. And they're given to us in the context of God revealing himself. And so with that in mind, I invite your attention to Psalm 19. And uh, you'll notice that the first six verses speak specifically of God's creation. And then the the final eight speak specifically of the Word of God. Let's read the first few verses together. It says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the expanse proclaims the work of His hands. Day after day, they pour out speech. Night after night, they communicate knowledge. There is no speech. There are no words. Their voice is not heard. Yet, look what verse 4 says. Their message has gone out to the whole earth, and their words to the ends of the world. The psalmist is saying, God's creation speaks. There is a message that is given when we study what God has made, whether it's the nighttime sky or the intricacies of the, of the, the plant world or the animal world, all of the different elements that we can investigate time after time. What do we see? We see beauty. We see design in God's creation. The word revelation comes from the Latin And the prefix re re means to take back or to take away. And the Latin word vellum is where we get the word uh, veil. And it, 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 it means that revelation is to take back the veil. It means that, that God has revealed himself and that he has, he's taken back the veil so that we can see him and we can see him by his works and we can see him by his words. That's the two types of revelation. In fact, the theologians have given us these two word, uh, titles. There is general revelation, which is that we see in verses 1 through 6, the general revelation of what God has created in the world that all people everywhere can see. 
But then there's also the specific revelation that we looked at several weeks ago, the Word of God, to see that it's trustworthy, that it is a record of, of eyewitnesses that God has given to us, even in the Old Testament time, speaking through prophets and so forth. And so we, we, we have both of these types of revelation. As Francis Bacon said, it's two books, God's works and God's words. We have nature, we have Scripture. For our discussion today, we can see that there is an appropriate placement both for science and for faith. And since God has used both nature and Scripture to reveal Himself, we should do what with these revelations? We should receive them as His gifts to us. Even as we look at topics and, and, and studies such as the world of biology or cosmology, as you are a student in chemistry or physics or geology, these are all wonderful tools for helping us understand God's creation. And I know many of you have, have been in, uh, in, in, in classes or you have read and you have studied and you have seen God's design. You've seen His handiwork at very intricate levels. I want to pause just a moment and point out a resource that's available to you and your family. Um, I've mentioned Right Now Media on occasion, and uh, it's, a, it's, kind of, it's a streaming service, kind of like Netflix, except it's filled with Bible studies and programming that, uh, that, are, uh, that, are, that are geared for believers. And uh, our church has a subscription. What that means is all of you who are part of our church can access Right Now Media for free. You can find information on our website. But as you log into Right Now Media, you'll see that they have a whole section on science for all ages. In fact, if you look at this, you'll see uh, there's, there's all kinds of questions. Some of it have to do with creation and evolution. Some of them are questions from an astrophysicist there, Jason Lyle, where you click and he's just got all these questions that you can, you can click on and you can listen to his response, both as a believer and as a scientist. If you look at the next page, you'll see particularly there in the, uh, in the middle section, there's a, a set of programs called Creation Proclaims. And uh, this is put together by Dr. Job Martin. He's a scientist, but also is a dentist. That was his professional training. And there's another man in this program called Dan Breeding, who is known as Dan the Animal Man. And uh, some of you are hearing that name for the first time. For our family, this has been a staple going back to when my kids were very, very young. Uh, let me explain. Before the days of streaming, uh, these Creation Proclaims uh, programs were available by DVD. And any time that our kids were staying the night with Grandma and Grandpa out on the farm, one of the things that they would do every night is they would have an ice cream cone and watch Dan the Animal Man. And he would be talking about this particular animal or this particular one and all the, the details of the design that proclaim a designer and a creator. What were my parents trying to do? They were trying to help just reinforce this understanding that yes, even in the scientific world, you can see evidence of God at work. And so uh, I just mentioned to you all kinds of programming. You could, you, could, you could spend hours searching through and finding information there. There are resources that are there to help us consider the revelation of God, both in nature and in Scripture, to see the complementary nature of how God has been revealed in both. So that's the first point. Second point this morning is this. 
the polarization of science and faith. And we, we can quickly recognize that that does exist in our day, maybe even more so in our day than in previous generations. But as I make the case from Psalm 19 that science and faith are not enemies, how do we then reconcile what we, what we see as a polarization? This divide, obviously, uh, there's, there's many reasons, I'm sure, but one of them is a divide because of worldview. If, if someone is approaching the world with a, with a naturalistic worldview or an agnostic worldview versus someone who's approaching the, 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 the world with a theistic worldview, you're going to certainly have differences as you approach not only science, but also matters of faith. So, so we begin with the difference of worldview, but we also know that, uh, that there's tensions that, that are there because of, of, of God and his role in creating the universe. And we, we know that there are other theories out there that describe uh, this world. Now, some of the, the challenges, some of the, the, the tension has come from the church. And some of this tension that has led to the polarization has come from scientists. Let me touch on just a few examples. If you go back into history, you'll see that Galileo uh, was following a model from Copernicus that spoke about uh, the sun being at the center of the universe. Heliocentric, right? And we, we accept that. We recognize that. But, but there was another belief before that that was, that was prominent, and that was that the earth was at the center of the universe, more of a geocentric understanding that had even gone back even to the days of Plato, right? Uh, and that was the, the, the understanding. And so when, when Galileo was, was, was promoting this, he is a Christian who upheld the Word of God and said, look, to see the sun at the center of the universe doesn't violate the Scriptures. And yet the church at that time they disagreed, and so there was, there was a conflict, and it's, it's one that's, that's well-known going back to his days. Let me give a modern example. I think the church has been slow in grasping the understanding of mental illness, and I think that that, that that has led to a lot of confusion even within the churches of our day by dismissing mental illness or mental disorder, uh, specifically defining it only in spiritual terms, has caused great confusion for those within the church who are suffering with mental illness. Thankfully, the church as a whole is recognizing the shortfall there. And, uh, and, and realizing that we, that we, through soul care ministries, don't want to neglect illness in the mind as we wouldn't want to neglect illness in other parts of the body. We can understand that when a pancreas isn't working properly, it leads to what? Diabetes, right? Well, then we can also understand that when parts of the brain aren't working properly, that there can also be resulting illness. And so this is just another example, just another example of times in which the church has, has struggled to, uh, to, to, to understand. And so the polarization between faith and science, however, doesn't just come from the church. In our culture, we also see that there's polarization that comes from science. Let me give just a couple of examples. One, I, I, I humbly think, is because of an overused phrase that's follow the science. Maybe you've heard that phrase in recent days, follow the science, which is a fine phrase, except for the times in which people are being asked to follow a direction that is indeed not 
scientific. We don't know what to believe or who to trust in these times. Science tells us, let me give an example, that an expectant mother has a baby in her womb. That's what science tells us. Through science, we can detect two heartbeats. The heartbeat of the mother and another heartbeat in there, heartbeat of a baby. This is all due to scientific inquiry and discovery. But for some reason, that isn't considered when the mantra, my body, my choice, is raised. See the difference? Speaking of mothers, we now hear language that is, I guess, considered gender neutral. Pregnant people or birthing people claiming that men can have babies too. And, and this is coming from high levels like CDC and, and others who are legitimate scientists that are making these statements that are not scientific. Because I'm no scientist. Many of you have lots more to offer in terms of science than I do. But I understand that, that, that within a chromosomal structure of two chromosomes, XX or XY, that science tells us that this is male and female. And it's the females that are able to have babies. But yet that is something that is being debated. And so I think that credibility of science because of this duplicity is, 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 is really part of the challenge for what we would call polarization. But in addition to this, there are also vocal critics of faith which come out of the scientific community. I can remember back in my college days, which has been now 30 years, going to a state university and having a handful of professors that were, that were um, very, uh, uh, very they, they spoke in a derogatory manner about the Christian faith. And, and in one example or two, I even remember ridicule towards Christians happening in the classroom. And I know that's not just an isolated incident that, that I saw. I'm sure others have had similar experiences. One study said that science professors are more likely than the general population to be unbelievers. 34% of science professors at elite universities who were surveyed say they do not believe in God, which is much higher than the general population. general population of atheists is somewhere around 4% of the American population. Add to this the boldness of the new atheist movement, which has grown uh, uh, recently. Uh, it's grown uh, a lot in recent decades, I should say. Scientists such as the biologist Richard Dawkins make statements like this. Faith is the great cop-out, the great excuse to evade the, the need to think and evaluate evidence. So, there are people that, that will hear his statements. He's crossed over from the lines of, of science into what? Into theology, right? And faith. And so we will have our own people, our own church seeing programs or our own students in classrooms hearing this kind of sentiment. And so we need to know how, how can we respond to that. And I'm, I'm going to give some more information in a minute. I just want to show that the polarization really works both ways. Here's Peter Adkins, chemistry professor. Uh, in fact, retired now, but he also, with Dawkins, were professors at Oxford University. And he said this, It is not possible to be intellectually honest and believe in gods. And it is not possible to believe in gods and be a true scientist. Wow. That's a strong statement, isn't it? And I, I'm looking around, and some of you, your blood's boiling because you are a scientist, and you're like, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute, I, I disagree. Let me just give one example. 
um, in terms of scientists and, 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 and uh, having credibility. As I go through St. Louis and I make hospital visits on occasion, I'll go to Missouri Baptist Hospital or I'll go over to St. Luke's or I'll go over to Mercy. And do you know what I see on some of the walls? Scripture verses. And that's because, because people of faith have, have led the way in many cases for providing hospitals. And we need scientists and we need, we need, uh, uh, we need, we need doctors and, and those in the medical profession to really establish hospitals. In fact, you could even look at something like Barnes Jewish, right? Jewish faith also contributing to the, to the world of science and medicine. And then we can go beyond just St. Louis and think about you know, hospitals throughout our country, or we could even think about sub-Sahara Africa and realize that, that for the most part, until recent days, every single hospital in sub-Sahara Africa was put there because of Christians, Christians mission, Christian missionaries uh, who were concerned about the soul and the physical well-being of those that they were, that they were seeking to reach. And so, so this idea of science and medicine being divorced from the Christian faith or, or those that are a part of it can't, can't, can't be true scientists is, is just really a ridiculous statement to make. The religious nature of Darwinian evolution has been recently observed by a Yale professor, a Jewish man by the name of David Galernter. And he is, uh, again, a professor at Yale, and he's making a claim that Darwinian evolution is, is becoming a religion all on its own. He says that, uh, that he has come out opposed to Darwinian evolution, and there are a number of, of professors who have. And he describes the modern field of science as having a, uh, an ideological bent that tolerates no dissent. Here's what he says. You take your life in your hands to challenge Darwinian evolution intellectually. They will destroy you if you challenge it. In other words, there's not academic freedom found in this topic. He says Darwinism is no longer just a scientific theory, but the basis of a worldview and an emergency, listen to this, an emergency replacement religion for the many troubled souls who need one. Isn't that interesting? From a Jewish, Jewish professor. The late cosmologist Stephen Hawking was quoted as saying, religion is a fairy story for people afraid of the dark. Another example of a scientist that is, that is really coming out hard against faith and matters of religion. And yet, um, I like how John Lennox, a professor at Oxford, has responded by saying, atheism is a fairy story for people afraid of the light. So, <laughs> you, you see that there's some give and take there, right, as they, they go back and forth. What's my point? My second point is that, yes, there is a polarization that exists between science and faith. We must recognize it, but we must not allow it to influence us into thinking that faith and science are mutually exclusive. And so for you today, for those of you that are working in scientific endeavors or young people that are growing up and will someday know that you are needed, you are valued. In fact, it's, it's part of God's call for some of you to be actually voices of, of truth 
and representatives of the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ in these fields. And we're going to look at examples of some others who, who are there as well. That's actually my third point. The third point is examples of scientists who are Christians. And as I, as I prepared for this point in the message, I was, I was a bit overwhelmed because there's a lot of information. Books have been written about scientists who are faithful followers of Jesus Christ and who have been absolute, top-notch scientists, those who have worked and labored in the field and have been credited for much discovery. There's no shortage of examples, both, both in history and in modern times. And so I'm going to do my best here to give a few examples. But I'll just tell you, there's a lot that are there. As we think about, about Christians from history who uh, were also scientists. They've been described by Dominic Doan in his book, When Faith Fails, as believers allowing science to enrich their understanding of the world and enlarge their love for the God who spoke it into existence. Rather than being competitors in a battle of worldviews, faith and science were once seen as partners in joyous theological discovery. And maybe at some level you've experienced that. Maybe in a classroom setting, maybe in a laboratory setting. You've experienced seeing the, the design, seeing God's majesty and wonder at work in His creation. And you can see how that would even encourage and stimulate you in your faith. He goes on to write, these Christians celebrated and advocated science because it was an inescapable byproduct of their devotion to God. God was the creator and they were the curators, the curators. They saw beauty and nature and were motivated to understand it because they believed in a beautiful God. Just think about the beauty of this world. We could take field trips all over our, our region and just see the beauty of God's creation. And it can remind us that we serve a God who is also beautiful who is also creative, who is also powerful to be able to create what it is that we can enjoy. Rebecca McLaughlin is the author of a book called Confronting Christianity. And she has written about a dozen chapters of topics that, 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 uh, that she has used somewhat as an apologetic to, to, to say, here's a, here's a topic that's tough and here's how we as Christians can interact with it. I've, I've, I've looked at her book a, a number of times over the course of the summer uh, as I've prepared these messages. But I want to give her credit for, uh, for providing uh, really uh, an exhaustive list of, of names Lots of examples. And here's what she said. Belief in a rational creator God provides the first and best foundation for the scientific enterprise. And as she goes back through time, she points out people. that were people of faith who were also formidable in the subject of science. She points out two Franciscan friars, Roger Bacon, who lived in the 1200s, as well as William of Ockham, who lived from 1285 to 1350, and crediting them as laying the empirical and methodological foundations for the scientific method itself. And they were believers. She points to Robert Boyle, who lived in the 1600s. You may have heard of Boyle's Law. He was also a key player in the development of science. He was a devout Christian. And many of you have heard of Boyle's Law, maybe in a classroom setting, 
But did you hear that he was also heavily invested in evangelism and Bible translation? Because he was. This was part of his passion. He even thought about going, to, going on to, to train to be a minister. But he decided that God was calling him to serve Jesus better as a scientist. Isn't that interesting? Michael Faraday, who lived from 1791 to 1867, is, is known for his work on electromagnetism. And his contributions uh, uh, in terms of experiments are very well known. The Faraday constant is named after him. The Faraday effect, the Faraday cage, the Faraday waves. And all of this stems from a man who was, again, a passionate follower of Christ and interested in the relationship between science and faith. James Clark Maxwell lived in the 1800s. He was credited with the, the second great unification of physics, bringing together electricity, magnetism, and light. He was an evangelical Presbyterian. He was an elder in the Church of Scotland. And for him, science and faith went hand in hand. In fact, studying God's creation for him was an act of worship. And in the, uh, the, the book, there is a prayer that James Clark Maxwell prayed and was, was recorded or written down. And uh, it's a little long for a slide on the screen, but I want to read it to you. And just think, here is a, a well-known physicist. Hear about his faith as I read his prayer. Almighty God, who hast created man in thine own image and made him a living soul that he might seek after thee and have dominion over thy creatures, teach us to study the works of thy hands, that we may subdue the earth to our use and strengthen the reason for thy service, and so to receive thy blessed word, that we may believe on him whom thou hast sent to give us the knowledge of salvation and the remission of our sins, all which we ask in the name of the same Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Just thinking and hearing of, of this pursuit of science and this pursuit and longing for the Lord Jesus Christ. Earlier, I quoted John Lennox. He's a professor of mathematics at the University of Oxford. And he has pointed out that in a 100-year period between the year 1900 and 2000, that 60% of the Nobel Prize winners were people who identified themselves as people of faith in God. 60%. I hadn't heard that before. In Rebecca McLaughlin's book, she provides several modern examples. And she lives near the MIT campus, so she interacts with a lot of the... She has a PhD herself, and she's interacted a lot with faculty members at MIT, which, by the way, Massachusetts Institute of Technology is... Uh, has nothing uh, to, to scorn, right? I mean, this is considered one of the top uh, academic institutions in America. And, and she has come across a number of professors there who are followers of Jesus Christ. She gives some examples in her book, such as a professor, I think Jing Kong is a professor of electrical engineering. She grew up in China. She became a Christian when she was a graduate student at the University of California, Berkeley. And this is what she says. My research is only a platform for me to do God's work. His creation, the way he made this world, is very interesting. It's amazing, really. Cambridge professor of experimental physics, Rustin Calburn, 
says this, understanding more of science doesn't make God smaller. It allows us to see his creativity, excuse me, his creative activity in more detail. Again, some of you all have experienced that. McLaughlin goes on and says, the roll call of Christian professors at MIT is impressive. She mentions by name so many. I won't go through the entire list, but we have nuclear science professor, professor of aeronautics. Uh, 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 She mentions several that were not raised as Christians, because sometimes we get this idea that people... People were raised in the Christian faith, but then they turned from it. But in these cases that she's saying, they weren't raised as Christians, but in their scientific discovery, as, 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 as they move through those processes, they also discovered Jesus Christ. And so it's, it's, it's amazing to think of it like that. Another example is uh, she gives is an artificial intelligence expert, the one who invented the field of effective computing. Uh, she mentions a chemistry professor, Troy Van Voorhees, who came to Christ when he was a graduate student at Berkeley. Uh, she mentions a, a biological and mechanical engineer, uh, Linda Griffith, who became a Christian when she was already an established scientist. Uh, she mentions a professor of mechanical and ocean engineering, a professor of biological engineering, chemical engineering, and also one who was a neuroscientist and former MIT president, the first female president of MIT, Susan Hockfield. The list she gives just goes on and on. And she says clearly it goes beyond MIT as well. But, but for many of us, that, that, that may be striking. But she makes this point. She says, if science has disproved Christianity, no one has thought to notify them. <laughs> you know, because there they are. Let me give you a couple of other examples. Francis Collins is an American physician geneticist who discovered uh, some genes associated with a number of diseases. He led what is known as the Human Genome Project. You can read about Francis Collins. He now is the director of the National Institutes of Health and has served in this capacity under three different presidents. Now, going back to that quote I gave you earlier, would anyone in a right mind say that he's not a real scientist? Uh, he's, he's, He's quite formidable in that. And I watched some videos and I read some quotes on Francis Collins just because of the nature of time. I I, I couldn't bring all of it to you this morning, but you can can even watch some interviews that he gives about his faith and about how he understands his work. And uh, it's, it's really amazing. He grew up in a secular home. He was a graduate student at Yale and he moved from being an agnostic to an atheist. He assumed that believing in God was just not rational. But his atheism changed because as a doctor, as a young physician, he was encountering his patients, many of whom were Christ followers. And he saw how they were responding in the face of suffering. He was particularly shaken with a conversation with an older woman suffering from untreatable pain. She shared her faith in Jesus with him and then said, Doctor, what do you believe? He said, I felt my face go flush. As I stammered out the words, I'm not really sure. And in his discomfort, he realized that he had never considered the evidence for God. This patient's simple question set him on a journey of exploration and research that ended in him accepting Jesus as his Savior. And like I said, you can go out and you can watch, you can read, and you can hear his testimony. One final example is astronaut Dave Hilmers. And uh, he wrote the book, Man on a Mission starting as a pilot with the Marines back in the late 60s, early 70s, selected by NASA 
to participate on four space shuttle missions. Uh, He also uh, went on to become a medical doctor. With five academic degrees, he is the second most formally educated U.S. astronaut. And by the way, you guessed it, he is a person of faith. In fact, I sat in church with him. His family and my family went to the same church when we lived in Houston, Texas. And so I knew he was an astronaut. There he was on that side of the church, and here we are. And he went to the same Sunday school class that my parents were in. And when I was 15, I got the news that my my dad got a new job, and we were moving to Kentucky, and we were loading up the U-Haul truck. And uh, this guy came, and he helped helped us load up the truck. Uh, because he was in the church family. And so it, it just was amazing to see that side of him and then to also read and understand just how accomplished he has been uh, within the field of science. He's written a book. He speaks about his Christian faith. And I, I, I also would just pause to say there are many examples in our own church family. I thought about this, and uh, I'm not going to share names because there's so many, both in the first service and in the second service, and I'm afraid I might miss someone. But uh, we have people in our church that have pursued careers related to science. Medical professionals, doctors, surgeons, nurses, therapists, chemists. One of the chemists in our church developed a medicine that was patented that you can buy in the pharmacy. Uh, We have teachers, teachers who uh, who teach science. We have many different engineers, uh, pilots, architects. Many people with advanced degrees in science, um, all right here in our church family. Uh, In fact, let me just ask, how many of you work or have worked in an occupation that in some way is related to the field of science or are you pursued uh, an advanced degree in science? Would you mind just to raise your hand? Look around the room. Look around the room and just see. Quite a few people, first service and this service, who are examples of what I'm trying to get at this morning. And that is that you can indeed be a faithful follower of Jesus Christ and you can follow God's call on your life to pursue careers and research within the field of science. And you know what else I want to add to that? Once again, that field needs you. We want the Christian voices there. We want Christians pursuing these roles and many of them lead to serving others particularly in the, in the field of health science and, and medicine. I mean, you are serving people in need. This third point was simply to show that when someone makes the claim that a follower of Christ can't be a credible person of science is, again, a false claim, a ridiculous claim. And young people, when you hear those claims made, which you will, whether you're watching a documentary or, or possibly in some classroom settings, remind yourself of this faithful cloud of witnesses who faithfully hold to the Word of God as they follow God's call even into pursuits related to science. Well, here's the fourth and final point. I know I'm running out of time. Here we go. The final point is this. Science does not have all the answers. Okay? And this is an important one. It's an important one for us to to understand. Um, If you go back to Psalm 19, remember, there were two parts of Revelation, right? We, We had the general which was what we could see in the, in, the, in the field of science. But we also have this specific revelation about the Word of God. Romans chapter 1 also shows this to us. For In verse 20, for His invisible attributes, that is, His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen. The creation of the world being understood through what He has made as a result 
people are without excuse. This is God's word saying people can see that God has created. They can see that he is out there. But there's more information. If you look at verses 16 and 17, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is, what's the word? Revealed. We see it again, the gospel, the gospel truth that that Jesus Christ has come to rescue and to redeem. That's the part that people need to hear, both sides, general and special revelation. We need both of it to learn. And if God has given us both, that means that that one of them, uh, the, 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 the general revelation, must not have all of the answers. And that's why we need to have the special revelation that contains the gospel. Let me just share a brief illustration. Back during the, uh, during the COVID lockdown, you remember those days, I'm sure, uh, we had a friend. I won't share her name because she might be here today, but she decided that she was going to bring a gift by our home. And so she sent me a text message, and she and her husband pulled in, and they, they dropped a gift off at our front door. And it was, I hesitate to even share this because I know we're at 12 o'clock, but she made us banana nut bread from scratch. And it was perfect. Trust me. I mean, as you were cutting it, it was just a little crispy and crusty on the outside, but so moist on the inside. Just the, the perfect balance of, of banana and nuts. And, and, and can I mention that it was, it was still warm from the oven? I mean, it, it was just perfect. Perfect. It's making me hungry. I'm going to land this plane. I promise. We're almost there. Well, let's think about that banana nut bread, and suppose we ask the question, why did she make this bread for us? What is the purpose of this banana nut bread? And to answer those questions, suppose I took a sample of the bread over to a laboratory and said, could you try to find some answers for us? Do an evaluation, run some tests. We could get a lot of information, couldn't we? We could get a a breakdown of the component ingredients, We could get affirmation that, yes, this is safe for human consumption. Uh, We could get a breakdown of calories and carbs and protein and fat content. All of that, right, could come from the lab. And it would all be true information, wouldn't it? But you know what we could never do in the lab? No matter how much scientific analysis we did, we could never find out why this friend of ours made the banana nut bread for us. There's only one way, only one way to find out, and that is, yeah, right, to ask her, to ask her why she made the bread, and I guess the follow-up question could be, was this bread just for me, or was it for the family to share? (laughs) And since the family was home, we all shared it. If they had not been at home, I can't promise you what the outcome would have been. It was really perfect banana bread. Well, there are just some things here that I think we can understand. Science is an incredibly useful tool to analyze our world, to learn the mechanics of the world, and we can use that knowledge to make this world a better place, to even serve and help people. But there are some things that are simply beyond the realm of science. If we want to know what the purpose of our world is and the purpose for our lives, we're not going to find it in the ingredients of the world. Only the designer can reveal that to us. And here is the unique thing about the Christian faith. It teaches that the designer, the creator, wanted so much to communicate with his creation that he entered into it personally. 
Listen to the beginning of John's gospel. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through Him. And apart from Him, not one thing was created that has been created. Jesus here referred to as the Word, who is the Creator. Verse 14, the Word became flesh. Just think about that. And dwelt among us. We observed His glory. The glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. God loved us enough to come and dwell with us. He loved us enough to, to come and to seek and save those who are lost. He looked out and said they are like sheep who are harassed and helpless in need of a shepherd. And he came. And so as we get caught up on the wonders and the glories of the universe, let us also see that this creator, this designer, this maker of the world stepped in to human flesh so that you and you and you could know him, could find a, the, the rescue of, of salvation. And as we've seen portrayed, that, that old life buried and a new life given through him. That describes his love and his compassion and his care that goes beyond the power and strength of being a creator. Through his life and his death, Jesus has shown us the meaning and purpose of life. And the more we think about science, the more I think we can see that it really doesn't threaten our faith. It just makes us more amazed with the God who created everything and more thankful that he came for us. And as I close, I'll just say that I know that maybe in this room today, we may have had some people who have struggled to place their faith in Christ because they thought in doing so would be to abandon scientific pursuits. And I would just say, I hope that you've seen today that you can indeed pursue these endeavors, while also pursuing Jesus Christ. Would you bow with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, we are thankful that indeed you are the creator of this world. And we thank you that you have given us a desire to pursue, a desire to inquire and to research and to study. And God, we thank you for the, this long line of brothers and sisters sisters going back into history and even today who are using those minds and those skills Lord to understand further your creation to become trained in, in ways to be able to care for, for others God these are gifts that you've given Lord we pray that you will help us help us as a church help our young people to navigate through what at times are difficulties related to science and faith. But God, may we, may we be lights. May we pursue both. And God, in doing so, may the name of Jesus Christ be uplifted. Lord, I pray that you'll apply your word today in ways that only you can do. I pray that you will nurture those who have needs this morning, those who have doubts. I pray that you'll nurture those today who, who may be grieving or hurting, longing for encouragement from you. God, may you be at work and may you be reminding us that yes, you are indeed a great God, a compassionate, loving God who cares for his own. Father, we bless you 
and we worship you today. We lift this up before your throne of grace and all of God's people said, amen.